The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And a welcome to those who are on YouTube joining us as well uh, from afar. Um. So today I brought a story. Um, And and those of us who like to read uh, the ancient uh, Pali Canon suttas, um, they're often kind of names and locations are showing up uh, when we read uh, the the suttas. And and if you're like me, I get curious. You know, who are these people? Where do they live? What their lives are like? You know. And how did they practice? And and um, so today I like to share a story of um, this person uh, whose name is Ananta Pindika. Some of you may know this. And um, the story and and I brought in uh, was based on a compilation um, that. Uh, Helmuth Hecker uh, did, collecting various pieces of information from suttas and commentaries and, and Jataka tales and kind of put it together to give us a little picture of what this person's life is like. Um, this, you know, usually when you read suttas, you have a little glimpse of <laughs> what this person is, but you don't get quite a story. So I'm grateful that uh, uh, Hacker had brought this together. And um, in the suttas, often uh, the sutta has the opening line that sounds like this. Thus have I heard, one time the blessed one, uh, the Buddha, was staying at a sabati in the Jatta's grove in Anantapindika's monastery. So Anantapindika's monastery. And that shows up a lot in the suttas. So who is this guy, Anantapindika? And so Anantapindika was a wealthy, apparently merchant, or born out of a very wealthy family. And um, we don't know exactly what uh, his profession was, but... um, uh, sometimes it's a said of wealthy merchant or wealthy banker. Maybe that's what they do <laughs> back then, being born in a wealthy family. And he uh, was um, he lives in Savati, so this place that uh, the Sutta opening line states, uh, states often. And this person is known for his boundless generosity. So this name. Ananta Pindika actually means one who gives to the poor or one who gives to uh, those who are unprotected. That's what the name uh, means. That was not his birth name. His birth name is Sudatta. Um, But uh, even before he uh, met the Buddha, before he was a Buddhist disciple, um, he was already known as Anantapindika. Kind of people had forgotten his birth name, and they just call him Anantapindika. 
And uh, so I wanted to maybe start um, by telling the story of uh, how he encountered the Buddha. And so this is the first year after uh, the Buddha's awakening. Buddha had a very small monastic order, you know, maybe just a handful of people uh, who joined him and practiced and became awakened individuals as well. And they don't have a place uh, to live. And this, this is around a place called Rajagaha. And uh, often uh, this monastic order would ling- uh, live in the forest near- nearby. They would stay in the mountaintops or uh, by the river or on the meadow, open fields. And, and so that's kind of how they wandered around, wandered about. Another Pindika uh, had a brother-in-law who lives in uh, Rajagaha. Yes, from that household, he is also quite uh, wealthy. And uh, being close by to the Buddha, he also became a faithful disciple of the Buddha. And so he saw how the uh, monastic uh, lived. And so he went and asked the Buddha, is it okay if I'm going to build uh, some dwelling places for your order uh, right around uh, Rajagaha. And the Buddha said, yes, I loved it. <laughs> I love this, you know, kind of. But I recognized that was kind of challenging living conditions. Um, and when, that, when the condition came and arose that this was offered, and he agreed, yeah, so it, would be, it would be nice to have a more permanent space to, to stay. And so uh, this brother-in-law began to build uh, the mon- uh, monastery and dwelling places for the monastic order. Now, one day, Ananda Pindika, uh, as a businessman who traveled to Rajagaha, he came to see his brother-in-law. Apparently, they two have a really a cordial relationship. They're very warm and caring for each other. They love each other very much. And, uh, but when Ananda Pindika showed up at his door, he was so busy making preparations for some big event, a very elaborate thing. And that I, he almost like didn't pay attention to Ananda Pindika. So that was very unlike of him. So he said, what are you really busy doing here? You know, are you preparing for a wedding? Or are you going to see a king? Or what are you busy doing? Um, and the brother-in-law said, um, I'm inviting the enlightened one, the Buddha, and his order to come for the alms tomorrow. So Ananta Pindika had the thought, What? The enlightened one, the Buddha, <laughs> coming to your door tomorrow to have alms? It's not like it happening every other week, right? And so I think in the culture they know this notion of enlightened being, the Buddha. But somehow it's just going to show up next door at his brother-in-law's house. Mm, you know, that's like unheard. And that's not common back then. That's not common right now. So imagine, you know, somebody tell you, oh, you know, I'm going to offer absolute food <laughs> tomorrow for a monastic order or enlightened individual. 
you'll be like, what? So he asked him three times, really, enlightened one? And the brother-in-law said, yes, yeah, the Buddha is coming tomorrow morning. So that got Ananda Pintika's uh, attention. So that night, uh, he couldn't sleep. He was tossing back and forth, and this idea that he's going to see an enlightened, enlightened individual was so intriguing. He just, at some point, he decided, okay, I'm not going to sleep. So he got up in the middle of the night, and he decided that he's going to walk out uh, of the city and walk towards where the monastic order stayed. Right, kind of in the countryside. So that was in the dark. So he walked out and to the countryside. I imagine, you know, being a, a born out of a wealthy family, has a lot of supports, and he probably never had to go walk out of the city in the dark, you know, in the countryside all by himself. So he got scared. He was like walking, walking, but he got scared. But then this idea of seeing the Buddha was like so strong. So, so somehow he managed to calm his mind. He said, I'm going to go anyhow. So he kept on walking. And at some point um, in the misty dawn, he saw a person walking back and forth, back and forth. So he stopped. And, and then he heard this person calling in this indescribably harmonious voice, come, Sudatta. What? No one knew him by the name of Sudatta by that time, right? It's like, what? So he thought, that must be the Buddha. So who else would know, right? And so he bowed down immediately at the, the Buddha's feet, and I used this shaky voice and said, How are you, the Buddha? And, uh, and that was a conventional greeting, right? How are you? And the Buddha answered in a very unconventional way. And so he said, and the Buddha said, Well, the arahants, the awakened individuals, are always well, and they are beyond the possibilities for suffering. He can just feel the Ananda Pindika's jaw probably dropped. I was like, what? Beyond the possibility of suffering. Is that even possible? Yeah. And so, and so the Buddha, in that first encounter, uh, offered a step-by-step teaching. Uh, goes from uh, generosity, which he is all very, very steeped in. Sila, which is ethical behavior. I imagine he was very ethical uh, in his behavior already. And then the heavens, the perils, the harmful nature of essential pursuits, benefits of renunciation. And this is known as a gradual training of the Buddha. At some point, uh, the Buddha sensed that Ananda Pintikar's heart and mind may be ready and quite receptive, quite open, available. And he offered to him the liberative teachings of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, upon receiving this teaching, Anand- Ananda Pintika, uh, the Dharma Eye opened for him. 
he knew the truth of what the Buddha said. Right there, he had received it and he felt it in his being. So he has no doubt anymore that this is the way. This is the way. And so it is said that he entered the stream that would take him onwardly towards awakening in the future times. And so you can imagine this has touched him quite deeply. So at the end of that encounter, uh, he invited the Buddha and his monastic orders for uh, alms food after his brother-in-law had done so. And then at the end of that meal offering, uh, Ananda Pintika went up and asked the Buddha if he could build a monastery in his hometown, Savati. And the Buddha said, the enlightened ones love peaceful places. I take that as a yes. So I was so happy. He says, okay. That was the conception of the Ananta Pintika's monastery in Savati. So once he went back to Savati, his hometown, he immediately began to search up and down for this peaceful place where the monastics might be able to stay. And he found this place and that belonged to Prince Jetta, Jetta's growth. This is Jetta's, Jetta's place, and so he's the son of the king, uh, Pasanadi. And so he asked uh, Prince Jetta if the place is on sale, and, and Jetta said, nope. This place is not on sale. And he says so firmly, he said, even if you're giving me $18 million, and this is not on sale. And anything million sounds a lot, right? But he's a businessman, so Ananda Pindika, not budging on this, said, I'm going to give you $18 million right now. <laughs> but Prince Jetta also didn't budge. And he said... No, this place is not on sale. So they, but Ananda Pindika didn't give up. So they eventually, two of them went to the an arbitrator, uh, who kind of managed to get them to agree on something. And so what was agreed upon was Ananda Pindika is going to get the land, and that is coverable by. 18, about whatever number of coins that 18 million dollar amounts to. And if you lay the coins one by one on the land, that would be the space you get. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, another thing to get, get to pull the cards and cards of the coins and <laughs> start to lay it on the ground. And, and it just happens so that there is only a little corner that uh, isn't, um, covered. But in this whole process, Prince Jetta got so inspired by this being. It's like, wow, this is unheard of. And so he came and he said, well, uh, okay, even though there's not enough coins to cover this corner, I'm going to build the gateway, gateway for this monastery for free. And apparently, and Jetta spent the $18 million to build this gateway <laughs> and offered it as part of the monastery. And so that's how the monastery got built. And then after that, 
another pitika also spent uh, a lot more to furnish it and um, put buildings on and put a huge celebra- a celebratory event, invited all the monastics and everyone to come uh, to kind of um, take the joy of this. And even after all of this, and he continued to support um, the um, monastic order and the broader field that he's in. And so in this way, he's known to be the foremost uh, in his generosity, kind of a, and the, uh, as one of the great disciples of the Buddha. Um, so... I would also wanted to mention that this monastery, uh, Anantapintika's monastery, is a place that the Buddha spent a lot of his time in. Out of the 40, 45 or so years of a teaching career, he had to spend about 19, somewhere between 19 and 25 of them, uh, the ring retreat in Anantapintika's park. And so a lot of teachings flow out of this place, out of the generosity of this being. So I feel just deep gratitude for this. And I want to say a little bit about Ananda Pintika's uh, relational world. And so he has a family, he has a friends. Ananda Pintika uh, was happily married, and his wife is also a devoted a disciple of the Buddha, and she's very kind uh, to um, you know maybe the big household as well as all the people who work uh, in the family business. And then uh, he has uh, four children, uh, three daughters and one son. Uh, two daughters uh, were uh, steeped in the Dharma and also happily married. The youngest daughter. Um, as very sharp and wise, uh, also has a deep understanding of the Dharma, but also struggled in uh, very phenomenal ways. Uh, she uh, saw that her two, uh, two sisters got married happily. Um, for whatever reason, she couldn't get married. She got really sad and lonely and depressed and eventually starved to death. It was very touching to kind of hear the stories of this, and Ananta Pintika's family had to deal with the loss like this, just like many of us, all kinds of ups and downs, even with you know immense conditions, wealthy and uh, good conditions he lived in. He had to endure the loss. Um, he has a son. Uh, where he has kind of, um, um, I guess, ups and downs, or down-ups. <laughs> you know? And um, his son, for a long while, didn't want to have anything to do with the Dharma. So he's busy. You know, he's a busy business businessman, I guess. He inherited the big business of the family, and he's always busy. And um, Ananta Pintika... That took a while. You know, the story was that uh, at some point he had to bribe his son with 
$5,000 for him to come for a a Upasasha day, which is a practice day, basically. And uh, and I thought, wow, poor parents. (laughs) What do we do sometimes? But there was a little happy ending in that uh, somehow the bribe worked. I guess he's a businessman, so the father promised a thousand dollar that may be a lot and the first time it worked because he was so busy and uh, just having a, a upasasha day means that he actually stopped working for a day that was good <laughs> it finally took a break so that wasn't so bad and the second time so he bribed with another thousand dollars to say oh you know why don't you come with me to uh uh the spend an afternoon at the monastery. And that's where he met the Buddha. And he uh, did receive the teaching and connected with the teaching. And so over time, he also became uh, a devoted uh, Buddhist disciple. And he's known as the little Anantapindika. So maybe we're benefiting from that as well. But I also wanted to uh, say that and it wasn't so straightforward for Anantapindika, right? You can imagine the many years that um, the son just had no connection, was so busy with his business. And I imagined Anantapindika at times might be pretty frustrated about, oh, he wouldn't listen to me. So, and... Um, Ananda Pintika's broader social circle uh, consists of a lot of different kind of individuals. Uh, as a businessman, he has uh, people who may be like-minded, but he also has a lot of people who drinks. I don't know. Maybe business people drink together when they're on business trip or something. And it was said that Ananda Pintika never diminished them or tried to fix them. He just modeled um, what he could model, and he maintained the relationship with them, friendship with them. He never forced his way onto those individuals. I was very touched by this, that uh, Ananda Pindika wasn't just um, generous in the materialistic way, but also, he, was, he has a generous heart. He wasn't trying to go around and kind of fix everybody. And he let people be. And at the same time, uh, he's doing the best that he can to model what could be modeled. So very a kind of moderate way living in the world that way. Also, there is this uh, story about he had a friend who he befriended from a very young age. And and this friend had a very unfortunate name, Unlucky Bird. (laughs) I suspect that this may be from a different uh, caste, maybe a lower caste. This is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Indian history of the caste system that was very prominent uh, back then, even now, it's still there. And uh, when he, this friend needed money, he helped him out and offered a job, even offered a job that takes care of the family. And his friends were all criticizing him, like, 
oh, you know, this is very unfortunate and very auspicious. But he didn't, he wasn't concerned about it. And so he just gave him a job. And one time, apparently he was on a business trip, and there was a lot of theft who heard that he's out, and so they kind of schemed a, a robbery. And this vigilant, unlucky bird heard about this, and he started drumming you know, in the middle of the night when the robbers were all kind of circling in on the house. And uh, the big, loud drum sounds scared everybody away. And so he came back and heard about this. He said, Oh, look, you all tell me this is unlucky. And I'm very fortunate that he's helping us out in this way. I'm very fortunate. And so he has this heart that is, you know, it's kind of wide open, receiving all of these uh, different forms of beings around him. And then in terms of um, his relationship with the Buddha, and so after um, the monastery was built, the Buddha came to Asavati Jetta's Grove, Ananta Pintikar's park, very uh, monastery, very often. And it's said that as a great disciple, Ananta Pintika would often visit the Buddha. He would go to see the Buddha uh, twice a day. And uh, interestingly, he would just sit right by on one side of the Buddha. And it's said that he usually does not ask the Buddha questions because he didn't want uh, to create impression that he get a special treatment because he contributed to the community so much. Well, this is really humble being. And he would come to uh, see the Buddha and he would sit by one side and he would wait to see the Buddha would say something. Either give a Dharma talk or ask him a question. And then he would respond. And then if the Buddha also didn't say anything, then he would uh, say something about maybe a situation he's in or how he had done his uh, things outside. And then he'll wait to see what the Buddha respond. Did the Buddha uh, respond with approval or offer something? And use that way as a way that he's engaging with the, with the teachings. And so um, in the times when uh, Ananda Pintika and the Buddha spent time together, apparently the Buddha had given a wide range of teachings, ranging from how to behave in very mundane situations all the way to liberative teachings. And so in this way, um, kind of the teachings are flowing down towards all of us as well. Maybe the most profound teaching that Ananda Pintika received was on his deathbed. And there is a sutta in Nikaya 143, that spoke about uh, the time when he was really sick. He was probably very old also. He was just not getting any better. And there's this kind of 
um, horrific a description of how much pain he had to endure. It's like an unbearable pain, like you know, like cards pulling their limbs all apart or something physically, and and uh, he was not getting any better. And so he asked and to uh, get Ananda and uh, Sariputta to come and see him, help him out. So Ananda and uh, Sariputta are two of the great disciples of the Buddha. And Sariputta was an arahant, and Ananda at that time was not quite yet. Um, so they came. They came to see an, uh, Ananda Pindika. And the Sariputta knew that, uh, oh, you know, this man is not getting any better. He is near his death. So Sariputta offered a whole set of a profound instruction that is probably very appropriate uh, for what uh, Ananda Pindika was experiencing. And this set of instructions uh, invited Ananda Pindika to not cling to the six senses and the eye, ear, smell, tongue, taste, um, body, touch, sensations in the mind. And he went through this instruction one by one through each of the senses. And then he also went through the five aggregates. For those who knew, this is a teaching, um, uh, the the collections of the body and mind. I said, not cling to each of this and not cling to the four elements. And I just gave a talk a while ago about the four great elements, earth, water, fire, and air that made up our bodies and not to depend on them. And then not just that, he went through all the immaterial realms and said, not to cling to any of those either. And he ended by saying, not to cling this world or the, the other world or anything in between. And not to depend on any of those. And I have a sense reading the Susutta that Ananda Pindika was really ready for this. He knew, you know, he's, that he's dying. And having any form of cleaning on this fading body makes no sense. So as Sariputta was offering this, I had a sense that he's offering almost a guided meditation right there. Went through each of the senses. It's a repeating of this phrase, you know, not clinging to the eye, to the ear, and and all the way to anything in this world. And Ananda Pintika was ready. And this guided meditation, he probably rode in with Sariputta. He felt the truth of that. And so at the end, Ananda Pintika bursted into tears. Ananda didn't quite know. Ananda thought, oh, you know, something bad happened. As he said, oh, householder, are you failing? Are you fading? 
Ananda Pindika responded, No, Venerable Ananda, I wasn't fading or failing or, or failing. It's just that for a long time I've paid homage to the Buddha, the esteemed mendicants. Yet, I have never before heard such a Dharma talk. He's been around the Buddha a lot. He's never heard this. And Ananda explained, well, these instructions usually weren't given to the lay people. Ananda Pintika asked um, Sariputta and Ananda, please let those teachings be offered to the lay practitioners as well. Because there are people with little dusts in their eyes. There will be those who can understand this. For this, I am forever grateful for what he did. His teachings weren't just kept to the monastics anymore. They were offered to those who were ready, lay or monastic. Yeah, I remember at one time when I heard this sutta, I said, I'd like someone to read this to me on my deathbed. And I had went ahead and recorded this sutta myself. I read it and recorded it. If somebody is not reading it, I'm going to listen to my own recording. <laughs> um, so holding that possibility for each of us, holding that possibility for each of us, and there were great beings like Ananda Pindika 25 2,600 years ago, and there are great beings now, and there's a great beings that come to be through the practice. And so the may the story of Ananda Pindika be an inspiration for all of us. And so thank you for your kind attention. <laughs>